is a bloody disgusting podcast network. to horror queers we're talking cash grab remakes we're talking secret cave pedophiles and we're talking micro naps and i'm joe and i'm trace and we're talking the lovely kyle gallner in a speedo for an extended period of time oh my gosh it makes the second half of this film somewhat tolerable <laughs> it actually reminded me a lot there was a buffy episode the go fish one when xander yes, was on yes, the yes, team. Yes. uh when i first saw that i was probably a freshman in high school and i totally masturbated to it oh how could you not even though xander <laughs> is kind of an atrocious character when you look back on him but uh body be banging for sure, as is Kyle Gallner in this movie, so that's great. And everyone, we are talking... Oh, God help us. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> what are we talking about? We are talking the remake of A Nightmare on Elm Street on... Well, not quite on, but very close to its 10th anniversary. Mm-hmm. I was about to say 20th, and I was like, that's not right. <laughs> not quite right. It's getting up there, but no, it's only a decade. And gosh, hasn't it aged like fine wine, Trace? Okay, I'm gonna <laughs> I, I'm gonna say this. I don't hate this movie. I, it's right. not good. I, I I don't own it. I, I fucking streamed it on Netflix. Woot woot. Mm-hmm. And it's not my least favorite in the franchise. I, 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 if I had to, I would watch this over Freddy's Dead probably. Okay. So, fun fact: I haven't seen the later entries in the Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, like I've Christ. seen. Oh, hush you. <laughs> I just, uh, I, I just feel, I mean, again, I'm not going to fucking, like, gatekeep your fandom, but it's like, you know, I feel like as a horror fan, you should have seen all the Nightmare movies. <laughs> I don't know why. I've done one through three, and then I've done New Nightmare, and I just kind of feel like nobody told me the other ones were good. I've heard that, uh, what is it, Dream Child is good? No, 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 <laughs> uh, no. Dream, Dream Master. Master. That would be number okay. four. There we go. Although I will say that people hate Dream Child, and I think a lot of people do consider that the worst one. Yes, I did see that a lot. I So the Draft House did a marathon of one through New Nightmare um, like three years ago. Ooh. And I gotta say, like, I didn't think Five was as bad as everyone said it was. It has a lot of good ideas. Um, okay. I think, I mean, again, it's not good, but like, I don't think it's atrocious. Whereas with Four, which people really, really, really like, because A, it's Rennie Harlan directing, and B, mm-hmm. it probably has the best effects out of any entry in the franchise. Okay. But the problem with Four is it feels like two different movies because the first right. yeah. 35 minutes is spent killing off the characters from Three, spoiler alert, and then the rest of the movie is the new cast new of characters. characters. Yeah. I mean, but again, don't think, again, people love four. So I would still recommend watching four, but marathoning one through seven in a row, like, I still yeah. hated Freddy's Dead. But five rows, four lowered, and like everything else pretty much did the same. Interesting. Well, four is definitely on my list. It's on my horror bucket list. So I will get to that in the very near future. Good. With that said, I don't have the same hatred for this remake that we are talking about today that everybody else has. It's more when I watch it, I just. I kind of feel like it's creatively bankrupt. It is. I mean, this to me feels like so many people wanting this movie to be a different thing. And yet also making it the exact same thing. Exactly. No, I, I, that's the problem. This movie honestly is just very boring. 
Oh, yeah. This is the second time I've seen this movie in six months. God help mm-hmm. me. Me too. And even the homages to the original, because are just it feels like they're just ticking boxes, you know? And the homages they make, specifically that god-awful CGI wall and the bathtub scene, mm-hmm. they're missing they're what... pathetic. Ma- yeah, exactly. They're so bad. Yeah, particularly when you look at the budget for this film and you see how much money they're working with, it's all over the special features on, because I have the Blu-ray, don't ask me why. Out of all the movies we we covered. I know! I know you Go back and talk to 2010 me, because apparently I was on fucking Quaaludes when I bought this. I I actually did see this in theaters, and I remember when it ended, my friend that I was with, who was like a big movie buff too, he looked at me and goes, that might be the worst thing I've seen in theaters in at least 10 years. In a while, yeah. So I ended up watching this movie, not once, but twice, and watched... (laughs) All the special features for this, so uh, public service, please give me some kind of award. Did it make you like the movie more? No, it absolutely did not. Oh. But, um, like, it's all over the special features. They talk about how they want to pay homage to the original, but they want this to be its own separate thing, and they want it to be really scary. But also they've got this production budget where they really feel like they can update all the things you couldn't do in 1984. And I'm like, I hear what you're saying. And you don't succeed on any of these ambitions. Well, and they really thought this was going to be a hit, which we'll get to the reception in a minute. But um, because Jackie O'Haley was contracted for like two or three sequels and Rooney Mara was contracted for at least one more sequel. But um, she did not want to do that. (laughs) I mean, she didn't want to do one. (laughs) And we'll get to her in a minute. So, yeah. okay. well, let's go through the release and then we'll go through the production, because I actually think that this is another one where the production is just kind of fascinating to me. Oh, yes, 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 yes. And listeners, we're going to pull from just general research, but also I did get to interview the uh, writer Eric Heisserer a couple years ago, around 2016, when Lights Out came out, because one of the screenwriters of this movie, which honestly, I'm just going to say the main screenwriter, because he was mm-hmm. he rewrote a draft of someone else's. Correct. This was his first feature, um, a feature film that he wrote, but he also did the Thing prequel remake, Thingamajig. He did Lights Out, he did Final Destination 5, and he did Arrival and Bird Box, your favorite movie. (laughs) So he's got some hits and he's got some misses. What I like about this guy is that she can did. Yes. Um, so everyone, in case you're not knowing, I mean, I'll probably link to it in the show notes too. But yeah, I did. Um, I did a piece 16, 16 years ago. Oh my god, in 2016 <laughs> called "Taking the Blame," where I basically asked him. It was like an it was an hour long phone call that I had with this guy. Wow. And he was very candid. He thanked me at the end for like not tearing him apart, and I was like, Nah, it's fine. But. Um, he his representative did email me like a day later and was like, hey. <laughs> we need you to strip out 80% of this conversation. No, so, no they, they, this is before it posted. They basically, like, Eric wanted to read the article before I posted it. Okay. Because he, he was not like, oh, this sucks, this sucks, this sucks. He was just very much like, he was candid, like you said. Mm-hmm. And I think they wanted to make sure that I wasn't like, yeah. giving him a very negative inflection in his voice. Sure. I mean, this is a guy who still wants to keep working in Hollywood, so he doesn't want to bite the hand that feeds him. Maybe just a nibble. Yeah. So, okay, well, let's... I mean, I know you know some of this too, but we'll obviously fill our listeners in. So basically, (laughs) what I love, and this is probably the most telling thing, is New Line was in a huge hurry to get this made. They didn't, like, think about making it until, like, beginning of 2018. Wait, 2008? Oh, yeah, oh my god, yes. Oh, god, my years are off. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, holy shit, this movie is only two years old? What? I'm so 2000 and late. <laughs> 
<laughs> so yes, it was like January 2008, like like rumblings, like oh, Newland's gonna remake uh, Nightmare on Elm Street because and it, again, it's kind of weird to think about it because 2008, that's less than five years after Freddy vs. Jason came out. Mm-hmm. But also, like, why did they wait so long? The age gaps between Freddy vs. Jason and then the Friday remake and this remake are odd to me. Well, yeah, because because the Friday remake was February of 09. Oh, yeah. So I guess maybe they had, like, just started production on Friday. And then they were like, oh, we should pro... I wonder if it was because they were trying to see if there were, could be another sequel with mm-hmm. England. I wouldn't be surprised. Because Friday the 13th doesn't matter, because if they really wanted to go back and make a sequel to the original franchise, they could, because it doesn't matter who plays Jason. But with this property, it's very different. Mm -hmm. This is England all the way, which is one of the problems that people had with this remake. Uh, We'll talk about Friday in a minute. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, Yeah. So, basically, an original draft of the screenplay for this remake was written by Wesley Strick, um, he who also wrote Cape Fear and Arachnophobia. Hmm. But basically, they bring in Eric Heisserer, no credit to his name, to take elements from Strick's script and write his own. Heisserer himself was like, I don't know why they picked me. <laughs> um, he thought he was going into the meeting like with his executives because he was in trouble or something. But in fact, it was they were saying, hey, like here's a screenplay for the Nightmare remake. Can you rewrite it, but with these elements? Mm-hmm. The reason, though, because he had to turn this around in four weeks because they were trying to release the film on the 25th anniversary, which would have been... 2009. Yeah. Well, yeah. But like, I think like October of 2009, which funnily yeah. enough, they didn't make that fucking date because this came out on April 30th, 2010. Right. But they basically said, yeah, uh, here's a checklist. Fucking write it. Turn it around in four weeks. But <sighs> the thing with this interview that, that I found funny is that four weeks for this okay i want to say and i didn't like reread the entire article but i think he wrote the lights out screenplay in like three days wow so (laughs) i don't know so he's candid and speedy is what you're saying yeah and so he didn't want to rock the boat too much he didn't want to rock the boat too much so he was just doing what they asked but supposedly and i guess maybe i'll stop here with that kind of stuff but Basically, in the production, a lot of things kind of went, I don't want to say wrong, but deviated from his screenplay that he is still kind of miffed about. And he kind of throws the blame on the director, Samuel Bayer. He sure does. Yeah, he actually accused Bayer of rewriting a bunch of different scenes to make them more conventionally generic. Yeah, and even, like, so, hey, I guess we're kind of bearing the lead. So this is a Platinum Dunes remake, and a lot of people have issues with Platinum Dunes because it's a Michael Bay company, right? Mm-hmm. They of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, they of the Friday remake. Amityville Horror. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of these didn't have the sterling reputation that a couple of them have ended up gaining over the years. So I think at the time, people felt like they were basically stripping these really beloved titles and kind of making them on the quick on the cheap and they were just kind of pumping them out for cash grab that is true but the thing is though all these remakes made bank you know oh yeah it started with chainsaw which you know opened with 30 million went on to make 80 million and i didn't look at the budget for that but i'm sure it was less than the 35 million dollars that this fucking movie had absolutely absolutely but Everyone knows how I feel about Texas Chainsaw, as do you. I will say that I actually like a lot of the Platinum Dunes remakes. I love Texas Chainsaw. I think that Amityville remake is fine. It's better than the original, which is a snooze fest. Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably more appropriate for the time that it's released in. I'm not sure I'd say it's great, but it's entertaining. Mm -hmm. And Friday the 13th remake, I think, is in the top half of that franchise, if I had to rank them. 
It's pretty fun, all things considered. Like, having just watched that for the first time last year, I was really pleasantly surprised. Oh, I didn't know you had just seen it that soon. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I only watched it for a piece that I wrote on Bloody. Oh, okay, got it. Well, and the thing with that movie is, it very much is checking boxes of, like, the first four films in the Friday franchise, but Mm -hmm. they do enough different, and I have problems with it, like, the kills aren't very, very creative, it's not bloody enough, whatever, but that movie feels like a Friday film to me, and it feels like it's made with by someone who gives a shit and likes the original franchise, whereas this movie feels so corporate, you know? Well, and I think that that was one of the criticisms that gets leveled at Bayer, is that he ultimately delivers a film that feels... Not safe, but whereas that Friday remake encapsulates four different movies and kind of does them all well, while Mm -hmm. still feeling like that checklist, this one only tackles that first film. It's so reverent to it in a lot of cases. It doesn't feel like its own movie as a result, but you're right. It also feels safe and corporate like, here, we're giving people everything that they want. Why aren't they giving us their money? And it may be because the Friday franchise doesn't have the critical praise, that, or at least the first one. It, it, really, none of them. But, you know, Nightmare as a franchise, at least 1, 3, and 7, like the all the ones that Craven was involved in, mm-hmm. have critical praise. Or, like, have at least, like, respect among academics or whatever the fuck you want to say. Right. So, they felt like... <sighs> It was people were too afraid to like stray too far from the path. Whereas the Friday film, which is just a fun fucking slasher movie, like most of the entries in that franchise are, there was no reverence, you know, to be held. Yeah, I, I think that they had the fans first and foremost in mind, whereas this new film it almost feels desperate to be taken seriously. Like, again, in the special features in a lot of the interviews, they say that they wanted to strip out the humor that had weighed the franchise down in later installments and bring Freddy back to being a scary entity. And all I could think of was, did you assholes not watch New Nightmare? Because that movie doesn't have jokes, and that movie makes Freddy scary again. Okay, but see, though, the thing is, though, this movie does insert jokes. They're just not funny. Mm Mm-hmm. You mean my computer is powering down for a nap? <laughs> like, there, there are moments when I'm like, okay, the humor is dark enough. Like, like when he's like fucking with Thomas Decker talking about how the brain is active or whatever. Like, I like that. I wanted more of that. And then some of it's also really gross when you add in the child molester part to it, which, again, sometimes the movie goes there with it, but then it also seems too afraid. Like, I don't even think they ever say once he molested us, you know? No, no, they don't say it aloud, they just have her react badly to a series of Polaroids, but then they also want to make little girl rape jokes, or rape comments, rather. Yes, I think I wrote some of those lines down because... I've got them. (laughs) Baby, have I got them. Again, watched this six months ago, forgot all about that, so when it happened again when I was watching this last night, I was like, oh shit. Again, you... The second half of this film is its own sedative. The minute that it becomes the Rooney Mara show... I take a micro nap. And I'm going to steal a phrase from Halloweenies who covered this last year and call her Snoozy Mara. Nice. I like <laughs> it. I approve. I love it. That was really clever, but it was not my idea, so I can't claim it. But ah, in that case, check out Halloweenies. Not like they need our promotion. They're doing way better than Yeah, us. they're doing great. But <laughs> <laughs> still, they did, a re- they did a really good rundown of it. Yeah. So let's talk about the biggest obstacle that this film faces. Do you want to talk about the casting? I mean, I honestly don't, again, it's like with this movie, I don't hate Haley in the film. It just, it doesn't 
feel like the same Freddy from scene to scene sometimes. It just doesn't feel like anyone has a grasp on this character. But overall, I think the acting with the performance by Haley is fine. It's definitely Rorschach, but with burn makeup on. This is true. Yeah, that's one of the reasons that he got the role is because they were so impressed with his role in The Watchmen. And then, of course, a bunch of people rightfully went back and said, so you guys didn't see his more nuanced performance in Little Children, where he also plays a child molester? That's the thing, though. So some people, so and Little Children's what got him noticed, because that's honestly when the Jackie Earl Haley, like, like train takes off. Yes, exactly. Because everyone, he was famous for being in Bad News Bears, and he was a child actor. Like, that's what he was. He didn't really do much outside of that. And then Little Children happens, which is a fucking great movie. Mm-hmm. But I, I read this tidbit, and it was like, uh, one of the producers who saw Little Children was like, oh, cool. And then they sent the other producer a screen test that Haley did for Rorschach and Watchmen. And I, right. I just laughed, because I was like, wait, wait, so they didn't just make him watch Watchmen? They made they sent him his screen test, so he wouldn't have to sit through Watchmen? <laughs> it's possible that they had begun production before Watchmen was officially out, because that oh. comes out in 2009. Fuck! I didn't even think... Oh, well, that just kills my joke. Okay, you're Sorry. right. Sorry to no. take the wind out of your sails. I apologize. No, no, no. You're totally right. I, I, again, I, I'm imagining all this like it's happening like two years ago, and of course it's like more than ten years ago. I mean, part of the problem with this film is that everybody also looks exactly the same. So I was watching it and thinking, oh, so this must have come out immediately after Jennifer's body. No. No. It came out before. Oh, because when is... Jennifer's body is September of... Oh, fuck. Sorry. God damn it. (laughs) Jennifer's body is September of 09. This is April of 2010. So yeah, this is like six, seven months later. Because you look at Kyle Gallner and he looks exactly the same. And you see Rooney Mara and she looks exactly the same as like all the movies that she's making in and around this period until uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo... Which is really, like, the first time that she seems to come alive on screen. (laughs) It's so, yeah. I think, yeah, Dragon Tattoo is what turned me around on her because I think in this and Social Network and she's actually not bad in this uh, Steven Soderbergh movie called Side Effects. But the problem that I have with her, not just in this movie, but in general, like, I I like her in Carol. I like her in Dragon Tattoo. That's probably the only things that I, I haven't seen Ghost Story. But the problem that I have with her is the same thing a lot of, like, the same problem people have with Kristen Stewart, you know, where it's just like, she's this like emotionless <laughs> blank face. Kind of sad emo girl. Yeah. But see, I think Kristen Stewart is great. Like I, my husband just rewatched personal shopper the other day and I was like watching parts of it. Cause I'd seen it before and I was like, fuck, she's really good in this, but she's also doing kind of the same Kristen Stewart shtick, you know, but it works mm-hmm. at least in the role she takes. Whereas you put Rooney Mara, who's doing nothing in this movie, Mm-mm. in one of the most iconic final girls of all time, and give her no personality except for the fact that she's an artist. Yeah, and in her interviews for the Blu-ray, she talks a little bit about her approach to the character, and she really tries to emphasize how she's socially isolated, and she's withdrawn, and she doesn't really have a lot of friends, and that seems to be her big distinction from the original Nancy, and all I could think of was, so you took one of the most iconic final girls in history, stripped her of anything that's interesting, took away all of her friendships, and made her an artist. Well, and we'll get to it when we talk about the ending, too, because I I was also thinking third act of this movie versus third act of the original film. You know, third act of the original film, you've got Nancy, like, home aloneing the place and, like, being smart, taking the power in her own hands. Whereas this one, it's like, oh, he did molest us. Also, she's going to be a victim the whole time and let Quentin save her. Except for her atrocious killing blow line. (laughs) Oh, my God. It's almost up there with that Kelly Rowland line from Freddy vs. Jason. It's 
bad. It's super bad. I mean, again, I think this is... Oh, I guess I'm going back in time. But, like, the, the formula that Platinum Dunes was trying to do with this movie was just like what they did with Texas Chainsaw and later Friday the 13th, was take a music video director, in this case Samuel Bayer, and Texas right. Chainsaw in Friday's case, um, Marcus Nispel, and put his vision onto a script... And, I mean, of course, your mileage may vary depending on what you think about those films, but, I mean... At least they have vision? Yes. There's no vision here. Some of the aesthetic I like, but again, like we've discussed, it feels like it's just like trying to copy the original. I mean, yeah. So, it, it didn't pay off, and obviously Samuel Bayer thought so too, because he has not directed a film since this. Woof. Yikes. Which is sad, because when you when you do see these people... I recognize that the interviews are taking place while filming is happening, and Mm -hmm. they're, like, fresh and in the thick of it. But these people are actually legitimately excited. Like, they think they're making a really good film. And I feel so badly for them, because then when you see the final product, it's just so flat and so so unmemorable. I met Thomas Decker at Texas Frightmare Weekend a couple years ago, and my husband and I were like, you know, like, we love you and blah, 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 because he's also super hot and super gay. Well, he is now. He was not when this film was made. Well, he wasn't out when this film was made. <laughs> but yes. But no, he like we asked him, well, oh, like, how you think about how you... Because he had publicity stills for Nightmare on there. And he was like, oh, dude. <laughs> he was like, everyone knew how shitty that movie was going to be. No one wanted to be there. It was terrible. Uh... But he had the good graces to not tell anyone in the press that. <laughs> right. Unlike Miss Mara... Yes, yeah, so to what are you referring, Trace? No, by, you can take this one. I feel like you give it the, the um, acid spit that it needs. <laughs> I don't have it in front of me. Okay. So, yeah, Rooney Mara did an interview in 2011, so less than two years after this came out. Ugh, so She's, well advised. <laughs> yeah, so this is after Dragon Tattoo. Which is maybe why she did it, because she was like, I'm working with motherfucking David Fincher now, oh. so I can open this claptrap and say what I want super funny though so i'm reading the article so this is a bloody disgusting article that our editor brad miska wrote and it says so for <laughs> it's easy to be dismissive now that rooney mar is on top of the world but when the star of the girl with the dragon tattoo was cast as nancy holbrook in the 2010 remake of a nightmare on elm street i guarantee she was excited it was a pretty huge step up from her role in urban legends bloody mary um rare brad that was kate mara brad <laughs> oh no kate mara was the lead in urban legends bloody mary <laughs> That's so funny, because when I saw that, I thought to myself, huh, I don't remember her being in the Urban Legends franchise. Nope. Um, But anyway, so Mara did an interview with Entertainment Weekly, which I guess was on the Dragon Tattoo press tour. And she said, after auditioning for Nancy, she says, you kind of learn to self-sabotage with things you don't want to get. Sometimes you don't want to get something, but you do a really good job and you get it anyway. That's kind of what happened with A Nightmare on Elm Street. I didn't even really want it. And then I went into audition and I was like whispering, fuck, I definitely got that as I walked out the door. So, oh my God, I just like I can't with the privilege because bitch, you could have turned it fucking down. (laughs) No, that's my mentality, too. And granted... See, that's that's the thing. Mm. <laughs> if she had something up, it's like, yeah, she, she was really nothing before this came out. So it's like, okay, well, you, yeah, you would have been happy because you're getting this role. But her performance in this movie supports that quote because I feel like she was trying to get fired the entire time. Oh, man, I do not know what she thinks she is doing here, but it is not engaging to watch. So, yeah, maybe, maybe she is self-sabotaging well filming the actual movie but that does not make an enjoyable experience for us viewers 
Well, and the good thing is, like, she doesn't really come... I mean, she's in the movie in the first 30 minutes, but she doesn't really come into the movie until the 30-minute mark of this 90-minute movie. Right. And it's... See, I was, it's kind of the same in the original, and I want to avoid yeah. comparing it too much outside of the obvious, like, rip-offs. Mm-hmm. But I still feel like Heather Langkamp's Nancy is, like, woven through more of the film before Tina dies. Well, okay, so... Because I had the opportunity to watch it twice, I got a lot of time to think about what doesn't quite work in this film. Mm -hmm. And we touched on two of them. One is that people do not like this Nancy. One is that people do not like this Freddy. I saw a lot of people making fun of Jackie Earl Haley's height and saying that he wasn't threatening because he's so short, which I think is a little mean-spirited. I just think it's a different take. Like, he's... Well, I didn't get to ask you what you thought of Haley in the role. So, what what are your thoughts on him? I also like him. I think he's giving it his all. When you watch his interviews, he is a delighted child. He is so excited to be doing this role. He is actually very reverent to saying, I recognize the genius that is Robert Englund, but I'm also cognizant that, you know, there is an opportunity to do this differently. Like, he's approaching it as a challenge to create this iconic character in a different vein. And that's, that. yeah, I agree. That's kind of one of the things that works. And as we've talked about with remakes before, you know, I would rather them do something different. And again, with, with that, the movie tries, but then it doesn't work with Nancy. It doesn't yeah. work with the molestation thing because they don't go all in on it. It's one thing to try something different, but then you have to execute it properly. I mm-hmm. would say that all things considered, his performance is one of the highlights of this film. I agree. Yep. But then a lot of, like, and the micronaps, the idea's there, the execution isn't fully there. Yeah, I think the visual, I mean, we've talked about how it doesn't have a good visual style, but I just think looking at the film as a whole, it's actually just kind of ugly, and the scares don't work in a lot of places for me. Mm-hmm. They wanted to make this scary, and all I can say is, well, where are the scares? Then? Oh, this this movie is not scary. And also the big thing about this movie is that the, the nightmare sequences aren't good and the deaths aren't good no but yeah sorry to bring it full circle back uh the other big issue that i think the film really suffers from is the creative team like the production spent all this time thinking about their freddy so they've got this actor they've got the costume they're trying to think about how to do things their way but also pay homage it's all freddy all the time it feels like they don't spend any time thinking about the actual fucking human characters that we're supposed to root for. So the film is filled with likable actors. I like this cast a mm-hmm. lot. I don't feel like any of these kids are friends, and we don't see them interact. Well, and that is a huge fucking problem. I agree. The only time they're all in the same room together is the opening scene in the diner, but they're not interacting because you have... Well, actually, because you have Kyle Gallner and Thomas Decker at the table together, but then I don't think they speak again for the rest of the film. <laughs> uh, no, I don't think so. But I wrote in my notes, actually, this feels very episodic because we're yes. following one character until they die, then another character mm-hmm. until they die, and then another character until they die. And yeah. that, that is because the film, as you're right, you're right. The film is focusing on Freddy because they just want as much Freddy stuff as they can. Right. Whereas in the original, like, Johnny Depp and Heather Langkamp and even fucking Rod are, mm-hmm. like, woven together in this movie, you know? Well, and you feel like they actually have relationships. Mm-hmm. There's a moment in here where Jesse, he comes in through her window, he hugs her. So that's the, the Thomas Decker Thomas character. Decker, yeah. And he hugs Chris, who is Katie Cassidy. And he goes... You know, Dean was my friend, too. And I was like, 
this is the first I'm fucking hearing about this. Because well, in the diner, you were jealous that she was hanging out with the Kellen Lutz character. We don't see you interact. We just see you say that you're a jealous asshole. But, like, we never got to see them together. We never got to see these people interacting. Like, why didn't they have him go over and get into an altercation with Callan Lutz? Like, the film is so desperate to kill a character before the title credits, it can't be bothered to invest in the character building. And that's the other thing. The body count of this movie, it's, like, three unless you really count Connie Britton as four. Like, no one dies. I and, do not actually, want to talk about that final scene. I do uh, yeah. not want to talk the about deaths it. Are, all the deaths are done at the halfway point of the film. And that that is a problem. Mm-hmm. And We'll, we'll talk about we'll talk about this in the plot, but like my big issue is that because a lot of them aren't friends, like the the whole which I think is a kind of a plot hole to be honest, and maybe a psychiatrist would disagree with me, but the whole <laughs> thing about how the entire fucking preschool class like forgot that they all knew each other. Oh yeah, like we need some magical Freddy versus Jason bullshit excuse where everybody got collective amnesia in here because it doesn't make any sense. And all. I think that is a thing, but it's awfully convenient. I could see it with maybe one or two characters, but we have three separate characters say, I didn't know that we knew each other. This is all news to me. Like, they don't have any memories at all. And you're just like, oh, wow. Okay. I imagine we'll be walking a line here because, again, everyone, we are going to be talking about child molestation in this movie. And Mm -hmm. I'm going to say I wanted it to go further. And that's going to make me sound like an asshole and like a pervert, but I just feel like if you're going to deal with molestation and pedophilia... You gotta talk about it. (laughs) Like, at least in the original film, because Freddy was intended to be a child molester, like, they just removed that part entirely and it was child killer. So it didn't matter they didn't quote-unquote go there with it. Mm -hmm. This one... Explicitly goes there. Yes, but doesn't explicitly do anything. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, so one of the things that they talk about is when they were coming up with this idea of, like, what their Freddy was going to be, They said that their biggest concern was that they had to give him a backstory that motivated these killings, Mm. which to me, I was just like, oh, wow. So you guys aren't horror fans because you clearly know that the worst thing you can do is give your killer a backstory because nobody fucking cares about that shit. I mean, Freddy already had a backstory, though. He killed kids. And actually, that's going to be something that I argue hurts this movie is that at least in the original film, like he was killing kids, but he was getting revenge on the parents that killed him by killing their kids, you know, Mm -hmm. whereas this one, it's like, oh, he's just killing the kids for some reason, waiting like 15 years or whatever. Oh, the waiting never makes sense. (laughs) I guess really, it doesn't really make sense in the original either because it's like, oh, I guess he waits till the the kids are older so they have time to like bond with their children, whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it it makes sense. No, this film wants to have it both ways. It wants to say, well, we shouldn't believe children if they talk about molestation because they're probably lying. And then it wants to try to pull the rug out from under us in the last act of the film and be like, big twist, he actually was a pedophile. Wah, wah. What would you rather have? Would you rather it be, oh, he didn't do it and they were lying? Or would you, and like, that that's just like the rest of the movie once that once that conversation with Clancy Brown goes down. Or would you rather, had they gone further into delving into like their, their reactions to knowing that he, because that's the other thing too. No one else knows that he molested them. Like the kids, like Chris doesn't die knowing what happened to her as a child, you know? No, she just knows she's being stalked by some guy in her dreams. Yes. And so it's like, I guess you could argue, oh, he wanted Nancy to know, and that's all he really cared about. Yeah, because she was his favorite. Oh, which, dude, that line that Connie Britton has, like, you were his favorite. I'm like, that's really creepy, Connie Britton. <laughs> yeah. Oof. Um, to come back to your question, I, 
I don't like any kind of narrative, even if it is fiction, just because of the way that real life so often unfolds. Mm. I don't like stories where we're inclined to not believe people who talk about sexual assault or sexual violence. So okay. I, I was really not fond of Kyle Gallner's character, Quentin, being like, oh, God, we were wrong. You killed an innocent man. It's like, let's just not movie. Let's not go there. Yeah. We so, don't need a sympathetic villain. Uh, Heiser did say, he said both the doubt that he might have been innocent and the reveal that he is guilty were elements from Wesley Strick's original draft. So like that was always going to be a thing. Um, right. But it just feels like a cop out to me. It does. Because they don't want to give it any time or attention. Like, they don't want to treat this with any kind of respect or examine, like, this is what trauma does or this is what repressed memories are like. It's just, hey, this is a motivation for our killer. Well, and that's the thing, too. The way that Connie Britton reacts to her daughter is, like, so not how I would personally react to a child who may be recovering some lost memories of being molested. And this film doesn't even have the excuse of saying, oh, well, she's a big time drunk like the original mother was. Like, right? she's she's the most well-adjusted mother <laughs> ever. And you're just like, bitch, what is your problem? Yeah, but it, it is missing some Ronnie Blakely, like, pulling out vodka from the towel cabinet. Oh, my God. That performance is so fucking inspired. <laughs> and I appreciate that they were probably like, we want to do something a little different because we're probably not going to top that camp performance. I, oh, God. Well, and that's it. I love Connie Britton. All right, sorry, we're going long. So I'm going to dive in with my reception and release, and then we'll go into the yeah. plot because we've been doing a do lot it. of broad strokes. Let's, um, let's fine tune it. Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay, so yes, this film released on April 30th, 2010. I believe this is releasing, this episode's releasing on the 29th. So tomorrow is a 10 year anniversary if y'all really want to give it a rewatch. <laughs> <laughs> a runtime of 95 minutes and a budget of $35 million. Yeah. Which, woo! Man, that is big for a horror film, folks. Well, and here's the thing. So it opens number one with $32.9 million, which is awesome. Almost makes yeah, its money back. Good start. Yep. Second weekend drops 72%, which is insane. Mm-hmm. And it makes $9.1 million for the number two slot. Yeah. Horror films tend to drop big, but if your film is dropping over 70%, something has gone wrong. And the same thing happened at Friday the 13th, because I think that opened with like $45 million, and then it also dropped and made about the same amount of money this one did. But again, that's a better movie. Anyway, so this makes $63 million domestically and an international gross of $52.6 million for a worldwide gross of $115.6 million. I mean, they could have made a sequel if they wanted to, but... Mm-hmm. Well, I think it was just so poorly received that they realized that they'd made a mistake. Speaking of, great transition. (laughs) Oh, wow, thank you. (laughs) Rotten Tomatoes of 15% with an average score of 3.75 out of 10 and a letterbox score of 4.2 out of 10. Yeah. Yep. I mean, what did you give this out of five? I gave it a two and a half, but I'm probably leaning more to a two. And my two and a half is strictly because I think it's very well made. Okay. Well, minus the CGI. From a technical standpoint, I think it shot well. I actually think Bayer directs the film very well. It's just, it's just so boring. <laughs> yeah. So I had this at a two, I think two or two and a half. And then after I rewatched it, I was feeling much less generous. So I jumped it down to a one, mostly just because I like the actors. I don't disagree that it shot well, but I just don't like the way it shot, if that makes yeah, sense. I think that's fair. The visual representation of the nightmares doesn't work for me. The kind of fuzziness around the edges in a lot of scenes doesn't work for me. No, I didn't really notice the fuzziness until the end. And I wrote in my notes, why is there a blur effect on the border of the screen right now? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
but yeah, I mean that's I mean we've kind of gone through the cast and the 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 director and the writer and everything, so I think we can just jump into plot. Um, but I uh, I do want to point out though that like you, I do love this cast as well. Yeah, you know what I think would have actually made this better. What you kill Nancy in the first act and you make Ooh. Chris your lead. And maybe that yeah. made it better, but the surprise would have worked. The surprise would have worked. I mean, I think you and I. We both fucking love Katie Cassie. Mm-hmm. We have talked about this before on the Black Christmas <laughs> episode. We have talked about her on all of her CW appearances. Like, I just think she is a hell of a likable actress. So I whenever I see her, I get excited. I actually think this film uses her mostly well. But yeah, I mean, compared to Rooney Mara, it's like a no-brainer. Well, and it's something, too, because like she's actually, I think, delivering a good performance in this movie. Like, when she's scared, she looks terrified. Rooney Mara, she just looks inconvenienced. Yeah, I would say the only time she looks remotely concerned is in the supermarket sequence. <laughs> yeah. But the rest of the time, you're just like, someone rake her up. Let her know that the camera's rolling. <laughs> Snoozy Mara at it again. Snoozy Mara. Oh my god. (laughs) All right. So this film opens on a diner. This is not the original opening. Originally, there was a seven-minute party sequence where we were introduced to all of the kids, and then Dean, played by Kellen Lutz, threw himself off the balcony. Okay. Um, That's a little All the Boys Love Mandy Lane for me, but sure. Yeah, I mean, it's he's in a dream sequence. So of course, it's Freddy who is making him do it, but it looks like he commits suicide to everybody at the party. And then we would go forward as normal into the funeral sequence. I mean, I like the setting of a party more. I don't like the death because I, while I hate the Riverdale dining sequence, di- diner <laughs> sequence, sorry, <laughs> I do like his death. Like, I think it's the only death that I'm like, oh, like that's actually quite shocking. Yeah, and I think this is actually the scene that, to me, visually looks the most interesting Mm -hmm. as well. It's almost got that retro pastiche vibe to it, right? Yeah. Because it's a diner. It's, you know, the color scheme is a little bit sickly greens and reds. As is most of this movie, and yellow. Ugh, yeah. Okay. (laughs) So we're introduced to Dean. He's very sleep deprived. He hasn't slept in days. He falls asleep. He goes into the kitchen where he sees a bunch of saw props and he gets attacked by a man with gloves for fingers. Knives for fingers, but yes. Knives. Oh yeah, knives for fingers, not gloves for fingers. (laughs) What would gloves for fingers look like? Like every finger has its own set of little gloves on it? Well, yeah, so would it be like a five finger glove on each finger, thus you have a 25 finger hand? Yes. Okay, that is actually kind of super creepy. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Okay, this is our (laughs) spinoff. Okay, so Dean gets slashed. He gets woken up by waitress Nancy because she has a job that we never see her do again. I wrote, Mara is DOA with her first line, which is, Oh, man. I told you if you keep falling asleep, they're going to kick you out of here. Delivered just like that. Dean, I told you, if you fall asleep, (laughs) they're going to kick you out of... Line. Line. (laughs) She's like, am I fired yet? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. So then we get Chris, who is like a breath of fresh air. She's very concerned. She rushes in. She wants to question Dean. We also are introduced at another table to Quentin, played by Carl Gullner. And he is prompted by his asshole friend, Jesse Thomas Decker, to make a move on Nancy. Who could care? Blah, blah. I do wish that Decker had more to do in this movie, because it's like this scene, the funeral, him comforting Chris, and then he's dead. Correct. Yeah. The boys don't get much to do except for Gallner. Mm-hmm. I don't mind Decker's performance. I find it a bit one note. Yeah. 
he's another one of the people where I'm like, I don't know that this performance is good. I like you. Because I watched all of the Sarah Connor Chronicles. I watched that fucking witch show on the CW. Oh, The Secret Circle? Yeah, man. I did too. Phoebe Tonkin, come through. I mean, again, we're talking masturbation material. Like, Decker's up there for me, so. Yeah, and I mean, the fact that he is our queer content for this film is just kind of a little cherry on top. I thought you picked this film because the queer content was the child molestation. (laughs) Well, that was sort of originally. Um, I, well, I have questions about that when we get to it, though, because Freddie didn't seem to discriminate between the genders. Uh-huh, which is, like, not how it works. Most and it's also not life. talked about <laughs> at no. all. No. Mm-mm. Basically, Dean gets killed because he has fallen asleep into a micro nap, and Chris watches him slit his own throat. Cue good effect. Card. Really good effect on this. Mm-hmm. And this is the end of Kellen Lutz, so thanks for showing up, collect your paycheck, and we'll see you later. I don't dis- I mean, I haven't seen Lutz in enough things to, like, say, oh, I think he's actually a secretly good actor, but- He's okay in this. He's yeah. pretty bad in a lot of other things. Like, I mean, Twilight just automatically sinks everyone's acting capacity. Yeah. It's like the Star Wars- He did, like, that Hercules YA. movie. Um... Yeah, that one's not good. He looks good in it, but it's not good. Yeah, I and mean, then he's in a lot of movies that I've never seen, like Immortals and The Expendables 3. I've seen Immortals, and that's not good either. Yeah, I heard it wasn't good. It looks great, though. He's out. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's he's hot. Do we, yeah, on. oh, he's very hot. Um, do we <laughs> like this cut to title card? Because it kind of took me out of the movie. Uh, I don't think it needed it. I agree. It just, okay, it, honestly, it reminded me of Scream. Because we're seeing mm. Katie Cassidy, like, scream, and then it cuts her off mid-scream to, like, give us this title card. And I'm like, you just spent, like, three minutes going through opening credits. So mm-hmm. you could have mm-hmm. just given it there, but sure. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I think this movie is cribbed from a bunch of better teen slasher films. Mm-hmm. And I will reference them as we go. Yeah. Let's open back up at a funeral, and this is where we start to follow Chris. So she becomes our de facto protagonist for the next little bit. She sees a young version of herself with a slash dress. The, okay, so I don't know if you thought this, and maybe it was the Netflix thing. because I think it was all real, but when Chris is looking at her younger self, and so like, you see her sitting in the chair, and like you see everyone else like behind her like mourning at the funeral, mm-hmm. it looks like a green screen. Like, it looks like they shot the funeral... And then put Katie Cassidy in front of a green screen and, like, projected that image behind her. Oh, really? I can't say I took notice, but I wouldn't be surprised. I think I'm wrong, (laughs) but I don't know if it's the way it's shot, if it's the transfer on Netflix or what, but it looks like, like, she looks distinctly, like, apart from everything behind her. There is a moment where everybody seems to freeze and she's still moving. The film does that a couple of times, but I don't think that's what you're talking about. I'm just like, it's like a normal shot. (laughs) Okay, well... Let's kick it back to listeners. Other folks, pay attention to that scene or go back and rewatch it and let us know what you think. Yeah, go back and rewatch it because we hate you. <laughs> we just don't like you very much. And we think that you should watch this a second time. <laughs> okay, so this is where we uh, are also introduced to Nancy's mom, Gwen, played by Connie Britton, in full Mrs. Coach mode. So I know your reference because I'm aware, but I never watch Friday Night Lights, despite the fact that it was filmed in my hometown. It's really good. I've heard it's really good, but I'll never watch it. Can I be one of the many people who have probably told you it's not actually about football? Yeah, no, my mom loved it too. No, I mean, like that show, The Wire, Better Call Saul. Like, I did suffer through Breaking Bad, so that was that. But suffer? Oh, you were going to get hate mail again. I like it fine. I like Breaking Bad fine, but I don't quite get all the uh, appeal of it, but it's fine. 
Okay. Well, we'll unpack that another time. Patreon on Breaking Bad. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Please join our Patreon where we'll be doing, we'll alternate. I'll make you watch Breaking Bad and you can make me watch the Lizzie McGuire movie, which people have said they would pay $50 to listen to me suffer through. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, so we meet Gwen, and we also meet Quentin's father, Alan, who is played by Clancy Brown, with not enough to do in this movie. Dude, he... Like, it's fucking Clancy Brown, people. Have some goddamn respect. Honestly, he should have been the Ronnie Blakely, like, fishing, like, alcohol out of his teacher's drawer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't even know why they cast either her or him in this movie, because they misuse... Like, the adults are not present in this movie at all. No. Chris's mom, who looks like a second-rate June Diane Raphael. Yes. I Yeah, like, nothing to do. And also, we don't even, like, do we even, like, see her after Chris dies? No. She flies away and never comes back. Oh, God. <laughs> okay. It's so funny. <laughs> so Nancy and Chris connect at this funeral because they have both been experiencing this man in the Christmas sweater. Uh, but for some reason, Jesse just gets really pissed off and he leads Chris away. They make him so mad throughout this entire opening act, and I don't know why. Well, and it makes his la his scene with Chris later, like, it feels like two completely different characters. Yeah, it's almost unbelievable. He has a throwaway line, but it doesn't excuse anything. Yeah. And, this and you is don't where... get an impression he actually even likes her most of the time. And this is where we learn, too, that, yeah, Chris sees a picture of her and Dean? Dean? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Chris sees a picture of her and Dean in preschool and she's like, I didn't know him. I don't remember this. I, I, I'm mm -hmm. at Dean in high school. Blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And her mom tells her, who remembers things when they're five years old? To which I say, fucking everyone. Yep. Oh, trust me. The, the parents did such a bad job at hiding this secret and we'll get to it when Chris goes to the attic. <laughs> Oh my god, yeah. Uh, <laughs> we've also jumped over the brief moment where Nancy falls asleep and we get the phantom homage to Freddy coming out of the wallpaper, and it looks atrociously awful. Yes, it looks terrible. Like, the CGI is possibly the worst I've seen in a movie of this budget mm -hmm. around this time. But also, th this is something, too, where, like, just from a structural standpoint... It feels like they're just doing it because they feel like they have to, because I feel like it's like an insert shot where we just have this bit and then it just cuts away to Chris doing something. Absolutely. You could lift this out and it would make absolutely no difference in this movie at all, except that it would just mean we hadn't touched base with Nancy in a while. Yep. That's it. And it's so dumb. On that level, if you're going to do this, give her an extra scene after this. Like she wakes up, she goes to get coffee and she talks to her mom or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're right. It feels exactly like an insert. Oh, well, we got to check this out somewhere. Yeah. Oh, God. Okay. Chris tries to sneak into the attic. She finds some evidence. Blah, blah, blah. She gets okay. attacked. She wakes up screaming. No, th this thing, though. I, I put in my notes. Why did they keep a box of memories that might as well just say molesting box and leave? Like, why didn't they get rid of it? The, the dress that she was wearing as a kid that Freddy mm -hmm. slashed open, which also kind of, by the way, gives away the reveal that he was fucking with them or fucking mm -hmm. them. Oh, yeah. There are molestation packages hidden all over this movie. And it's almost like these parents are saying, well, we can't quite let it go. But also, we thought you might want to give this to your children one day. <laughs> and also, hey, remember, we're, we're they're going to forget that they were all in preschool together for some reason. But we're going to put this picture at his funeral. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it boggles the mind that people, when they wrote the screenplay, they didn't think, oh, this is not going to look 
well on us. Like, people are going to see right through these giant truck-sized plot holes. And listeners, lest you think that this is only on Eric Heiser, um, because he even said he definitely felt like the blame went to him. Oh, of course. He said, so I, I asked him, like, what, what was missing from your script that was not in the final cut? His exact quote was, uh, just about all of it. <laughs> he says, I was fortunate enough to get a set visit. My first night there, the, uh, the location was an abandoned church and Freddy Krueger was in this monk's robe. I yeah. began to hyperventilate because I didn't write anything like that at all. There was no scene in a church. The director had fallen in love with this location when they were scouting for places and decided yep. they wanted something for that and were playing around with a scene that could take place in a church. Yep. So that is one of three big set pieces that they ended up filming and then they scrapped it because they felt like it didn't work. And hilariously enough, if you watch the behind the scenes features on the Blu-ray, you can see it when they talk about it, but it's not included as deleted scenes, despite the fact that they clearly shot and edited because they had them in the finished film for test screenings. So it's like, where are those scenes? I I don't know. Because there's that one. There's the original party sequence, which is seven minutes of footage. Mm-hmm. I would which, like to see that. That has to be longer than the diner sequence, right? It is, yeah. Yeah. And then there's also a scene where Freddy wears Quentin's head and unzips it like a suitcase. Where the fuck is that? Yeah. That's... Yeah. That that is dream logic that this movie is missing. Like mm-hmm. there is no ooh, 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 that makes me even more mad. <laughs> yeah. And you can see it. You can see him literally unzip it and you're just like, okay, I appreciate that you say in the final version of this film it doesn't work. Why am I having to watch this on a tiny picture in picture featurette on a Blu-ray special? Like where is that actual scene? I mean it's so dumb. I, honestly, I think everyone in this movie was just so ashamed of it that they were like, whatever, just drop it. Right. <laughs> you know what? I will give you two minutes while I'm in hair and makeup, and then I can't be bothered to talk about this movie again. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. So Chris has this dumb attic scene. She finds some shit, and then she wakes up screaming, and that is literally the rinse lather repeat yeah. of this. Oh, okay. So I think next is the school, right? Correct. So... I like this effect of everyone turning ash around her. I think some people think it looks like shit. I think it's one of the better effects in the film that's, that uses CGI. Mm-hmm. My thing is, when she wakes up and she screams, I mean, like, fucking bloody murder screams. Yeah, we've got a Black Canary scream here. Her teacher's reaction is, you okay, Miss Fowles? <laughs> like, just like that. I'm like, this girl is clearly terrified of something waking like, mm-hmm. i don't even like no one reacts normally in this movie except for katie yeah. cassidy well they had one diction coach on set and it was principally <laughs> for rooney mara but apparently everybody else got a little taste of it the t- this this teacher with two lines did apparently uh chris are you okay you okay miss miles <laughs> You know what, though? I bet you he wasn't even in the room when they filmed it. I bet they just said, hey, this girl kind of freaked out a little bit in class. So say this line. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's a pickup shot. <laughs> My issue with this, I agree with you. I actually think the burnt one and the flooded one. So they had three separate classrooms. They actually had to go to Michael Bay and plead to give them more money because originally they were turned down because it was too expensive. Mm-hmm. I think they all look great, but the sequence sucks. It's not memorable. 
when you think of this movie, you don't think, wow, this is scary or that's a really memorable piece, right? Like it looks good, but it doesn't come to anything. She just backs away. She falls into the seat and he like clips off a little lock of her hair. I think that's something to them in the original film, at least less so in the sequels. But in the original film, it's kind of scary because even though, yes, there's nightmares in the boiler room, a lot of the nightmares take place like in the space they're in without a lot of space yeah and it's not flooded it's not ashes everywhere you know it feels real and so it's hard to distinguish like you don't really know when the characters are dreaming or not whereas this one we actually talked about this in reefer madness a couple weeks ago um the lighting changes every time they enter a dream oh yeah it sure does we got a lot of flickering lights we got a lot of different lights yeah like i don't think it looks bad i just think you actually had to go and ask for more money to execute this. And if I ask people, hey, off the top of your head, name me a memorable sequence from yeah. this Nightmare on Elm Street remake, people aren't going to say this. Oh, the only scene that I would even say in this movie that is maybe memorable is the uh, the blood hallway, the wet dream sequence. Maybe. <sighs> and even that, it's like all you do is compare it to the original. Ugh, it's mm-hmm. so sad. So she has this scary thing, she wakes up screaming, she goes home, her mom leaves because she's a flight attendant, and that leaves Chris alone until Jesse pulls a Billy Loomis at her window. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, lots, lots of scream in this, but not n- none of the smartness. No. None of the intelligence. Oh my god, none of the smartness. <laughs> oh my god, Trace, the movie has infected you. It really it's has. It's making us dumber. <laughs> Um, so Jesse apologizes for being this jealous asshole. Chris asks him if he'll stay over. They bond over the fact that they're both having these shared dreams, blah, blah, blah. They go to bed. Chris wakes up. She has her familiar sort of nightmare thing. You think that they're going to do the arms down. Yeah, we all, we do we do get the dead dog. I will say that I liked his one-liner here. The eye was just petting him. Yeah, it's not bad. What do you think of the inflection? Not just here, but like overall. It's it's fine. It's, it's like, fine. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's why I gave this a two and a half. Or because I don't feel strongly about anything in this movie, and so that for me, it's like, oh, it's two and a half because it's just down the middle, you know? Okay, it just is. Yeah, it it is a thing that exists. <laughs> this is a movie. Period. <laughs> <laughs> a film. Oh Jesus. All right, yeah, so, you know, she goes down the backyard, blah, blah, blah. We get a familiar nursery rhyme. She's suddenly at the preschool, and then he begins his countdown. She's back in her bedroom, so you think she's safe and awake. And And see, I thought this was kind of cool, though. Like, it's like a hide-and-seek game. Mm -hmm. But, again, it comes to nothing, because there's no, there's no, he doesn't do anything. Like, he he doesn't pop out of a fucking mailbox or anything. He's just there. Yeah, it feels like at this point the film has already transitioned over to Jesse because at this point Jesse wakes up, he sees that she's having a nightmare, he tries to wake her up, and then of course we get the homage to the Tina flying around the room. Here they obviously try to elevate it with their $35 million production budget by slamming Katie Cassidy all over the place. So I like part of this. So first of all, the bed scare, when she gets in bed, she's like, fine, she lays down and he's there. Mm-hmm. I'm sure movies have done this before, but all I could think of was Drag Me to Hell when uh, Alison right. Lohman gets in bed and she lays down and like the woman like vomits on the maggots on her. Yeah. Which was a year before this movie. So that was that. But then, yeah, so with... <sighs> the thing with Tina's death in the original is it was very... It's like poltergeist um, when the mom's going around the room. They have her yeah. on a rotating room, which is why she's literally like on the ceiling, like going around. Mm-hmm. This one, she's just on wires. 
Yeah, and it's so obvious that she is. That was my issue. I can't suspend my disbelief that these are special effects. Yeah. It doesn't well, look at all real to me. Well, that's the thing. In the original, like, it looks like Tina has someone on her dragging her across the ceiling bloody. This one, it's just Chris's body flying around for no reason. There is a moment when she's spinning and like her feet do this like, like yeah. thing. That that I actually thought was a nice touch, but otherwise, ugh, DOA death. Yeah, and particularly because like she's not really even awake for any of this, so it's not like she's screaming. It's Jesse freaking out because right. he doesn't understand what's going on. I do like the moment where she gets elevated straight up and she wakes up and kind of gasps and then she gets the slit down the middle. Which was the trailer, like the, the, the end of the trailer shot. Like it, it did the, <gasps> and then cut to the title. Yeah, that's not bad. Yeah, was, I mean, the, actually the trailer for this movie is really fucking good. Oh, good. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how you get those butts and seat for that 32 million <laughs> opening weekend. Yeah, exactly. But, but also even like her, her, when the slashes go across her, A, her blood looks black. Mm-hmm. And again, in the original, like, you see the slash marks happen on Tina's belly. Like you see them happen on her flesh, and you just don't get that here. And it's like, why is this movie from 2010 not as like shocking and disturbing to me as a movie from 1984? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this one looks like oh, hide the fact that she's wearing some kind of safety vest that's keeping her up with all these wires. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So she did, and Jesse is covered in blood. So he does the obvious thing that we would all do. He fucking runs. <laughs> to Nancy. <laughs> yeah, he runs to Nancy, who's up late painting, because she's oh. edgy and emo. Wait, so, okay, you know what I thought of with this whole fucking painting sequence, right? Not in the Boutine movie, when she, when, um, oh, Lady is doing that, but she's like, ah, ah, painting and all that stuff, and then it cuts back, and it's like stick figures. Stick figures. <laughs> <laughs> and so, when they show, because I, I wrote in my notes, I was like, oh, she's an artist. She's a painter. She's yeah. emo. But yeah, I was like, oh, but, and I thought it didn't play a part, but then they do this thing later where she drew what happened in her dream, and I was like, oh, that makes sense. Do that more. Well, don't forget, it's also the way that Fred Krueger lures her into his secret cave because he says, I'm a really bad artist. Could mm-hmm. you come and help make my paintings better? I like the other one better where she draws what's in her dreams. Like she, it's like sketch artist mixed with Nightmare on Elm Street. Right. <laughs> That's the other <laughs> spinoff. Sketch artist. <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. <laughs> She's a sketch artist, but she has nightmares and she <laughs> solves crimes. <laughs> And then the role was recast in the second season for Jennifer Love Hewitt. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) On CBS. Yes, of course. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so Jesse arrives in the middle of the night. This guy is just fucking bursting into young women's bedrooms in the middle of the night. He is a sex pervert. (laughs) Yep. And ironic, since he's the gay actor. Right? (laughs) Girl, you gotta hide me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God, don't put me in the closet. I already came out of there. (laughs) oh poor thomas decker i know honestly i I actually do love him but i've heard him interview and i don't think that him and i would ever like if there were ever a world in which like i could hypothetically date thomas decker i don't think Mm -hmm. it would happen because he seems a lot more hard than i am like he's really into like metal and like that kind of stuff and i'm like i don't uh it wouldn't work out this is true he he is a serious musician so that's gonna be a stumbling block for you right off the bat (laughs) oh yeah i couldn't go to his concerts You'd be like, ooh, I don't really like live music. I don't really like music. <laughs> Would you want to watch me for Madness the 50th time? <laughs> Let's just stay home and paint. 
So yeah, so he's with Nancy. He's with Nancy. So he he more or less arrives to deliver exposition. And then he tells Nancy not to fall asleep. And then he just gets immediately arrested by approximately 40 cops who, in a weird moment of, hey, let's remember that this movie is R-rated, this one cop just tells him to shut the fuck up. Um, There are some instances, and I don't know why this felt weird to me, of Freddy saying fuck. Mm-hmm. I know that Robert England Freddy has said fuck before, but every time Jackie Earl Haley said fuck, it felt like it was like, Saying it just because it was edgy and not because it was, it didn't flow naturally out of his lines. No. And, and I would echo the same for when Nancy says, when she calls him a bitch in the end, where you're just like, oh, was that an attempted catchphrase? We're going to have to spend 30 minutes talking about that line. (laughs) I mean, it's kind of the only time that Rooney Mara comes alive in this movie. Uh, It's also a ripoff of fucking Monica Kina's line in Freddy vs. Jason. (laughs) It really is. Yeah. Once again, I literally think that this is a case where somebody watched a bunch of movies and then said, okay, I'm ready to write this remake. Yep. They said, do that. I'm gonna do that. <laughs> he cribbed a lot of things from the original, and then he cribbed a lot of things from other movies. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Nancy calls Quentin, and this is where we start to shift our attention again. So Nancy and Quentin are our new normal. And with very little prompting, he begins doing research on sleep deprivation. It's suddenly just the next day. He's at a coffee shop. His computer goes into sleep mode. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I hated this whole section. We get a lot of seeds of him and Nancy just like at the library on the computer. Not a microfiche because, you know, it's 2010. But that's all. They're just doing that for a lot of this movie. Yeah. I mean, we've seen a bunch of films where people do research, but this feels like three scenes of research whereas in most movies it would be like one you only need one yeah i agree granted well we'll get to it in a minute okay so let's cut back to the jail cell where jesse is just already there he's incarcerated he's got a roommate who's an adult which is not appropriate he's not he's in prison like he's not in jail he is in a fucking like that's what i thought too i was like (laughs) wait has he just been sentenced immediately? Like, don't go to juvenile court. Don't go to don't yeah. go to court of any kind. Just go to adult prison. No, he's got a roommate already. It's a door with a little fucking porthole window, like a like the Titanic, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, and he's trying to stay awake. This guy is telling him to shut the fuck up. Mm-hmm. Creepy. I will say that I actually looked down during a portion of the scene, and when I looked up, the camera was panning down to the um to the guy underneath saying shut up. But all I saw was like something on thomas decker's bed like like moving up and down like and it it, it looked like he was masturbating because i missed the beginning of the shot <laughs> oops wait are you sure that you didn't take a micro nap and you were maybe actually masturbating myself <laughs> <laughs> masturbating myself uh you know it's a little too obvious to say that's the title of your sex tape but uh no i just think it's a redundant phrase because if you are master you don't masturbate yourself you just masturbate but you can masturbate other people. That's called a hand job. I gave yes, someone a hand job. That is another term. I, 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 <laughs> masturbated, I masturbated my friend. <laughs> it's very technical. It's what all the kids are doing these days. Exactly. It's better than a gay hello, which is a BJ. I have never heard that before. <laughs> I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start doing that all the time. <laughs> well, girl, your friends are gonna be happy. I hope so. 
if you ever see them again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> social isolation. Okay, so Jesse leaves the cell. He goes into a boiler room, blah, blah, blah. This is my favorite Freddy line reading of the film is when Jackie O'Haley goes, why are you screaming? I haven't even cut you yet. Also a trailer line. I do like it. And I actually like, so okay, I, I, I've never liked the boiler room as a setting in general. Nah. I just think it's really boring. Yeah. But I do like this lead this build up with Jesse like walking up he sees the bodies of Chris and Dean like hanging mm -hmm. I wish that they were actually noticeable though like I actually had to look and be like oh that's supposed to be Chris because it looks like it could just be a generic girl body well which it is obviously but <laughs> yeah that is not Katie Cassidy but nevertheless it's a it's a pretty good build up and we get his some good teasing here and then it mm -hmm. just like yeah with this fist through the chest yeah like, again, you're giving me this movie, this remake, that has eight prior installments, some of which have really creative death nightmare sequences and scenes. Yeah. And you pull this shit? Yeah, it's super uninspired. It's over so quickly. I know that we don't often get boys getting stalked and chased, but it's literally, he walks down a hallway, sees them, hand through the chest. And the reason that I laughed is because I was going to say, oh, wow, so the gay guy got fisted. Um, that is funny. I'll give you that. And yes, he did. <laughs> but see, it wasn't even really a fist. His hand is like just straight through. Uh, it just looks... I mean, the effect itself looks good. But, you mm. know, he could have done that in the real world. That's not a nightmare-specific death. No. It looks like a Mortal Kombat death. Yeah, it does. As if you play Mortal Kombat. Uh, I play Mortal Kombat all the fucking time, man. It was okay. my jam. Well, you and Andrew can play online then. <sighs> Yay. Yay! Except I'm talking like the original version. Oh, more yeah. than three no, no, buttons. No, 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 I can't do this no. anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like one of those boomers who's like, "How do I program a VCR? I cannot do game consoles anymore. I've like I've been surpassed." It's just muscle memory. Like you just play a couple times and you're fine. Your hands get it. So what you're saying? I need, I need to get better with my hands on joysticks. Lots and lots of joysticks. <gasps> So I should masturbate the joystick, is what you're saying. Yes, masturbate the joystick. <laughs> <laughs> Ew. Uh. My glove fingers. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, so Jesse's dead. Let's go back to the bookstore for more shits and giggles. Mm. Uh, Quentin offers to give her a drug called Zonerol, which he describes as speed for kids with ADHD. Yeah, he tries to get it refilled, and the guy's like, no. Oh, wait, that's later. Sorry. That is later, but it's just one of those things where I'm like, this feels like just another checkbox because all the yeah. other films have done something where a kid tries Hypnosil. to take pills. Yeah, it's Hypnosil, but less inspired because it doesn't come to anything. Yeah, it's speed. Like, just say it's fucking Adderall. Oh, I guess Adderall didn't want their name or whatever the, whoever the brand was didn't want their name on this film. Just say speed. Uh, hey, if we're going back to fucking our kill by kill guest spot for Freddy vs. Jason, buy some cocaine, kids. Right. I was surprised that there wasn't a scene, because there's multiple scenes in the high school for a change in this movie. Why not have it be like they try to buy drugs off a kid at school? Oh, maybe we don't want to show kids selling drugs. But we want to talk about them getting molested? Sorry, we want to talk about them getting child molested? <laughs> well, you know, it's one or the other. You can't have both. Yeah. <laughs> we said, could we do drugs or should we do child molestation? And we said, you know what? Child molestation. All hands for child molestation. <laughs> <laughs> all the finger gloves i'm sorry i'm not laughing at child molestation i'm laughing at these stupid people that did this 
Yeah, it's the ineptness with which it is handled in this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, so another attempt to add to the Freddy lore is that he is a variation of the Pied Piper. They were quite proud of themselves on the special features for saying, oh, there's like a folklore genesis to this character that we can track it back to. Again, I felt like I heard that line for the first time last night. I don't remember hearing that on any of my previous watches because it's like one mention and then it's done. Yeah, particularly since this film doesn't really want to address the idea of like the sins of the parents being revisited even. Mm hmm. It almost would have made more sense if Freddy tried to gather the children, like he was abducting them and holding them prisoner. Yeah. Because then it would have been like he was collecting them as punishment. Yeah. But the film doesn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll have to go to Batman Returns for that, I guess. Oh my god. Oh, 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 we've already written about it, but we should still cover that one day. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. This is also when we get the introduction of the concept of micro naps, which people have been very clear. This is a concept taken from real life. Micro naps are a real thing. It's just that this movie is in love with the concept of micro naps. Kind of. I I like the concept. I just feel like, honestly, outside of the pharmacy sequence, it doesn't really do much with it. Well, you're meant to infer that every single time he attacks them, it's because they've had these micro naps. But it's not as though they find a way to overcome them. It's no different than from the original film where they're saying, try not to fall asleep. They just name it in this film. Yeah. I mean, I keep going back to Freddy vs. Jason because we just watched that section, but there's a part where Monica Kina is like talking to her dad, and she's mm-hmm. like clearly da- dazing off, and her dad's like, we need to get you to sleep! And on sleep, he becomes Freddy. Right. Okay, that's what that is. Yeah, and that at least is something distinct, right? Like, you're using your visual medium to communicate. Because that one, the reason it kind of works, I don't think it's great, but it kind of works, is because it still looks like it's an everyday thing, and then all of a sudden, nope, we've actually fallen asleep. In this film, they love to have people interact with Freddy, and then they cut to somebody else seeing them asleep. And you're just like, ugh. Yeah, we got it. Like, if we're seeing Freddy, that means that they have fallen asleep. We're not idiots. I hear you. I hear you. I think this movie thinks we're dumb, is what I'm saying. As many of the worst movies do. (laughs) Right. It does not trust its audience. Yeah. Okay, so let's go home so that Nancy can ask her mom about how she's connected to Freddy and the other teens, and Mrs. Coach just gets shifty eyes and makes a phone call. Yeah? I I have in my note. Oh, wait, no, because is this before or after the bathtub? She's about to take a bath right now. Okay, cool. Sorry. I'm like following my notes. (laughs) Okay. I mean, I could always share these with you so you could see exactly where I'm going. No, normally my notes are like a page and a half. I took like three fourths of a page of notes because I was just like, nothing's happening in this movie. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Whereas I went too all in and my notes are just super detailed. (laughs) That's okay. I mean, I also write jokes into them, so. Yeah. Like this one. As I expect. So Nancy then gets her dumbass white girl naked so that she can take a bath. (laughs) My screen 2 reference. (laughs) Again, though, much like the wall thing. So the hand comes out of the tub. Mm -hmm. She gets woken up and that is it. Yeah. And they make a specific point of talking about how they didn't want to go more than that because that's what you expect them to do. To which I said, yeah, but your scene is ineffective. Or do if you don't want to have her get dragged under. Actually, I always wonder why they didn't drag her underwater. But it's because mm-hmm. th- that same thing happens to Quentin later in the pool. Yeah. And so, okay, cool. Don't do that. Have something else happen. Have fucking Freddy Krueger as a giant Loch Ness monster come out and bite her. 
So this scene, yeah, like we get the homage. It's not very good. And then she goes back into her room and she ends up at this preschool and that's how she gets the name of it so that they can begin researching it. But again, it's just another scene of her like, oh, she walks into a room and suddenly she's outside and it's snowing. And all I could think of was, again, just like those three classrooms, you spent a lot of time and money on this production design, but for what? It comes to nothing. So yeah. much of this film comes to nothing. Yeah. And, and that's a phrase that both of us have uttered about a lot of movies we've covered a lot. This is true. It's our new t-shirt. Screenwriters and filmmakers make things come to something. Or like in this case, just cut it out. I don't think that the scene is necessary because it doesn't do anything. There's an easier way to have them discover the Bantam preschool. Yeah, for sure. You also interrupted my I'm coming to Thomas Decker joke, but I'll forgive you. Oh, well, I just assumed that you've been edging this whole time. I do love a good edge. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. Well, I apologize for interrupting your coming. It's fine. Maybe I'll give you a second coming later. Ew. (laughs) We discussed this. It's just really weird (laughs) when it's between the two of us. Fine. I won't virtually masturbate you. That's what you're saying. That's That's what I'm hearing. That's fine. It's fine. It's so you're good. All right, so they do some fucking research on this goddamn preschool. It's research all the time with these kids. And this is where they find the picture. Yes, and I wrote in my notes, and I can't believe I never thought about this before. So, y'all, I'm going to spoil Veronica Mars season two. So y'all need to fast forward like 30 seconds if you don't want to hear this. Okay. If you remember correctly, the finale of season two of Veronica Mars is unpictured. That's the name of the episode, or not pictured, or something like that. Mm -hmm. Because the whole premise of season two is that a bus gets blown up. And the reason it's blown up is because Kyle Gallner's character Beaver was molested by Steve Gutenberg, his baseball coach, and mm-hmm. he was blowing the bus up to kill the other two boys who were molested so they wouldn't come out with the story. And the whole reason Veronica finds out about it is because she sees a picture of the Little League team with mm-hmm. Steve Gutenberg as the coach and realizes that Cassidy Beaver, Kyle Gallner, is not in the picture, but he's supposed to be. Right. So this whole sequence reminded me, I was like, oh, that's really weird. Kyle Gallner is in two properties where he was molested. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. a group picture of him is like what like enlightens the cast. Yeah. Uh, It's so tired to the idea of like, oh, there's a picture. And if you can discover it, then it'll unlock the whole mystery. I was like, this is some J-horror nonsense. And it's kind of cool because it's like, okay, cool. So all these other kids have also all been killed. But we don't get to meet these kids, except for Aaron Yu, who is the only actor to be in both a Nightmare and Friday film. Correct, yes, when we meet Marcus via vlog later on. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you talked about the low body count in this movie. Why not open the movie with one of those randos? Right? And then have it come back later, like, oh, right, that death we saw that we didn't realize was important. And even if it is Aaron Yu's death, which seems to be he's just bashing his face into the computer mm-hmm. but maybe in his dream something cool happens yet yeah, see that works and then we meet our main cast after that oh mm-hmm. fuck because then you could actually spend a little bit of time with them getting to know each other where they're not automatically grieving or sleep deprived well because i like this concept too because like uh, he had moved away you know he has killed all these kids that moved away so like the, the, mm-hmm. the people he's killing now are the ones that are in the hometown Yeah, because we're not beholden to the previous franchise entries where it's like, you have to be on Elm Street, you have to remember Freddy Krueger, you have to be tied to the crime. Yeah. We could do away with all that because we're trying to create a new mythology. I do think it's a little weird that they decided to make Freddy Krueger a groundskeeper or gardener of this preschool. 
because it's obviously going to draw comparisons to the Simpsons episode where groundskeeper Willie is mm-hmm. Freddy Krueger. Yeah, I don't know if they thought of that. They literally use it as the excuse to, oh, this is why he has knives for fingers. Because <laughs> okay. he's holding that tool that looks like what the gloves become. I was like, oh my god. <sighs> and you think you had a breakthrough with that, didn't you? Oh my god, you people. <laughs> Whereas in the original movie, the opening credits are him making the glove just because. And that is all I need. Yeah, I don't need fucking motivation for everything. I don't need backstory on my villain i just yeah. don't but yeah so they all learn this and it's yeah they, they, they never say he had sex with the children they just never say it no miss coach just says i didn't want you to have to relive it and you're like okay cool yeah we get language like he took you to his secret cave and then he left town before we could do anything. I do love, like, God bless Connie Britton for trying to do anything with this nothing role. I do love the moment where uh, <laughs> Quentin goes to her, well, why didn't you call the police? And she just kind of looks up and over. <laughs> just like, he left town before we could do anything. <laughs> By the time we found out he'd already left town, like, okay, still call the police. Yeah. <laughs> oh, do laws end when people vacate the premises? Which, no. again, in the original, it's, oh, he got off. Okay, cool. Yeah. The parents took justice in their, in, into their own hands. This is like, no, we just heard about it and then killed him. <laughs> oh, absolutely. When we see that scene in the flashback astral projection thing that happens, it's just like, why are we not calling the cops? Why are we taking this on ourselves? It's not even vigilante justice. It's like the first reaction. <sighs> it's bad. It's bad. But Quentin's not having it because Miss Coach says that they're just repressed memories. So that's what Quentin goes along with. He then calls Nancy crazy, which I did not appreciate. Yeah, I didn't like that either. It felt, again, it felt very against character. Mm-hmm. He just all of a sudden believes what this woman is telling him mm-hmm. because, question mark? Yeah. So then he goes to swim practice, which is a thing that has not been talked about and will never come back, but it is an excuse so that he can put on a Speedo and then have an entire sequence where he astral projects and watches them burn Freddy in the factory. Two things. One, that bulge is great. Love you, Kyle Gallner. I don't think he'll listen to this, but oh my god, if you do, your bulge is great. B, why? Why? Why does he get this flashback nightmare? (laughs) When I was trying to rationalize this with Brian earlier today, the only thing I could think of was that him not having a lot of clothes suggests a certain amount of vulnerability. It doesn't make a lick of sense in terms of logistics. Like, why does he get pulled down and then suddenly transported into this vision? Like, does Freddy care? Does Freddy want him to know this? It's never clarified. It's never explained. Mm -hmm. But when you see... Quentin in these scenes he looks cold he looks miserable he's kind of hiding his body a little bit so I couldn't help but feel like he knows he's not supposed to be there but also he feels very naked literally Mm -hmm. this is me trying to bend over backwards to explain this because every time I watch this movie I don't get it I mean again I get for us it's so that we can see this happen because in the original we didn't get to see you know the parents Mm -hmm kill him like it was just a story that drunk ronnie blakely told us yeah but why freddie decides to say you know what i'm gonna let quentin see what's going on Mm -hmm. well he's swimming like why give him this nightmare like why why and why not give it to nancy yeah 
It's almost like we need to give this character something more to do. Let's give him this. Which I will never like be upset that I'm getting more Kyle Garner and less Rooney Mara in this movie. But ugh, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that it's him. It doesn't make sense that it's him while he's swimming. It doesn't make sense that he gets to get a vision. Like, and we don't even see Freddy try to attack him or anything. It's just he has a vision. Yeah, well, because he wakes up when Freddy runs out burning towards him. And then he's like, Pluh! and we get that, of course, the cutaway to him, like getting CPR or whatever. Yeah. So meanwhile, while all this is happening, Nancy is using search engine Gigablast to look up the other kids from the picture. I love the fake Googles in movies. It's amazing. I also wanted to give a quick shout out to the fact that she is using a revenge red Sharpie technique to mark off the dead kids in this picture. Ooh, did not catch that, but that is great. I was 100% like, oh, wow, okay, this is revenge through and through. She's Xing out these kids as she finds out they're dead. (laughs) (laughs) And, of course, they're all dead. But this is also when she stumbles upon Marcus Yoon's blog, blah, blah, blah. It's very Randy Meeks to me. Yeah, no, I I think you're right. I think that you make him the opening kill, like the pre-title card of this movie, and that at least, it's not going to fix the movie, but structurally it would at least help a little bit. Right, and it's Aaron Yu, who we know is actually a pretty decent actor because we saw the Friday the 13th remake, Mm -hmm. and he can do comedy, he can do drama. Like, why is he in this movie in an uncredited role for, what, 30 seconds? In a webcam footage. Like, I don't, (laughs) I don't know. This is the original unfriended people. Oh, God. Well, that's a really good movie, so this is not. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Oh, God. Okay, so this is where we get the homage to the clear body bag. Which, again, so it, this almost homage J-horror, because it's like she does the, the open mouth scream. Whereas, mm-hmm. again, compared to the original, you get a centipede crawling out of Tina's mouth. And you also, we don't get a good fuck your pass, or screw your pass, or whatever. Like, Mm-mm. I mean, whatever. It wouldn't fit in this movie. But yeah, again, it looks good. If it is Katie Cassidy in that body bag, that's great. But it, apparently it looks yeah. good, it's just not effective. No, and hilariously, oh my gosh, I guffawed so fucking loudly at this point, because Rooney Mara's expression is like, huh. <laughs> what a strange thing. What an unexpected rainstorm. Oh, Chris, I thought you were dead. Okay, I gotta go. <laughs> Am I fired yet, guys? <laughs> Line. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. Somebody give Rooney Mara an adrenaline shot in this motherfucking movie. I mean, they do, but it's too little too late. No, they give the character. I'm talking the actress needed an adrenaline shot. Like, okay, Rooney, we're gonna we're gonna prop your body up, and then we're gonna <laughs> stab you, and then we're gonna yell action, and we need you to say a couple lines. Ugh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so we've tried to refill our prescription. Nancy tries to keep herself awake by burning herself with a cigarette lighter. To which I say, this movie is so tone deaf. Don't just have kids self harming. And then literally, this never gets referenced again. She doesn't even seem to have pain. Like, if you get a burn of this magnitude, you would be feeling it. Yeah, I wrote in my notes, she burns her hand with the cigarette lighter, and she doesn't even scream. She just looks, again, mildly inconvenienced. (laughs) Yeah, it boggles the mind. And this is actually kind of shocking, too, because this is the end of the movie. Like, after this little drugstore sequence, we're moving into, oh, he raped us. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, we should talk about this pharmacy sequence just for a moment because they did use an interesting camera technique. I think it's something like motion smoothing. It's not motion capture. Motion smoothing is what happens when like normal, like high definition footage looks like soap opera, like video footage. 
shit. Okay, it's not that. It's motion something. I apologize. I should have written it down. It's a really unique type of massive camera. Basically, this thing filled up the entire aisle of this drugstore set, Mm -hmm. and it's like 20 feet long. So they used it to transition between the pharmacy and the boiler room without actually editing so that it looks seamless. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, it's kind of funny because when you watch the sequence, it actually doesn't look that impressive. No. (laughs) But then when you see them talk about it and you see this giant 20-foot camera that apparently no one ever uses because it's hella inconvenient to operate, you're like, oh, wow, they put a lot of effort into this. Did it also cost $30 million? It's a shame that it looks like garbage. Yes, it costs $30 million. And they had $5 million left for everything else. Correct. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, They could only pay for one Mara sister. (laughs) Uh, man, Kate would have done, well, maybe not so much maybe. better, because she also <laughs> kind of has the same Rooney Mara inflection, but I like Kate Mara more. I do too, yeah. This is where we find out we can pull things out of the dream world. Let's go to the hospital. Let's have this thing where we need to sedate her. No, I can't. Uh. Oh, right. I, for, I literally didn't even write this in my notes. <laughs> no, I know, because it's pointless. It fucking comes to nothing. The only reason this scene exists is so that we can get Chekhov's adrenaline. Yes. Yep, yep, yep. You are correct. So from here, though, this is where we're back on the road, right? Yep. Okay, so I wanted to mention this, too, with the micronap. So there was supposed to be another micronap mm-hmm. in this car. So basically, um, and this is, again, with Eric Heisserer, he said, One of the sequences I had been most excited to see when the micro-sleep got worse and Quentin and Nancy were driving and trying to track down where Freddy was, there was a micro-nap sequence inside the car where Freddy just completely gored Nancy and Quentin mm-hmm. freaked out at the wheel and crashed the car into a tree. Yeah. Eh, it's fine. Like, whatever. But what we get instead is, oops, Freddy appears in the road. Quentin has to swerve and crashes into a tree. Yeah, and apparently Heiser was pissed at that because he recognizes how fucking tropey it is. Like, mm-hmm. again, if you want to go back to Freddy versus Jason, that literally happens. That happened in The Grudge earlier this year. <laughs> like, how many times have we seen a ghost in the highway and I swerve and I crash the car? It's the worst. I fu- I'm the fucking worst. over it. Yeah. And I, I do wonder if this movie is just an accumulation of those bad decisions, right? Obviously, it would cost a lot more to have a scene where Freddy gores Nancy to death in front of Quentin, but this is a cop-out. I mean, they spin it on that fucking camera at the pharmacy. Exactly. <laughs> Which none of us took notice of until I watched that fucking scene. <laughs> All that hard work gone down, down the poop chute. Down Wait, the down the drain. Back. Poop shoots the butthole. Um, I mean, I'll allow both. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so they get to this fucking preschool. There's more shitty micro-nap jump scares that happen, but eventually they make their way into the basement, and then they find a secret cave, and then they find dirty Polaroids, and this is where we get the twist that he was a pedophile after all. Okay, so, yeah, I mean, you know, I say I want to talk about this a lot, but I don't even know what to say. Like, I do have issues with the fact that he seemingly molested all these kids, Mm-hmm. despite the fact that Nancy was his quote-unquote number one. Oh, we did mention also earlier when he's telling her that and he, like, licks her face. Yeah, it's the attempted homage to do the, the telephone. The tongue. Yeah, the tongue phone. The tongue, yeah, the tongue phone. The tongue phone. <laughs> and I, I w- the tongue phone and the glove fingers. Love yeah. it. I also, okay, so, like, Quentin finds this picture of Nancy, which is clearly probably a nude photo of this child. Presumably, yeah. He is also learning at this point that he too was molested. Doesn't yeah. seem that concerned about it. No, I think it's because the pictures are all of her. It's almost like he doesn't put it together that, oh, if the stories were true and we all have forgot, oh shit, that means I was also Uncle Bad Touched. Yep. 
I mean, again, it's not that I want to see this, but I just feel like there's a conversation these characters could be having that needs to happen that doesn't happen. And the problem is that by putting the twist here, there's no time because we're into the climax, right? Like we're ramping things up. So you don't want to have a conversation here because that would derail your pacing. But that means that you're saying our villain is a pedophile. These characters have made a life altering discovery, but we can't possibly allow them to process it because we have to move on to a blood hallway. Well, and that's, yeah, yeah. And even in the end of the movie, which we'll get to in a minute, it just ends, you know? It's like one scene ending. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can we get a therapist over here to talk to these poor kids who <laughs> realize that they were molested? Oh, trust me. No, we will talk about this final scene after we get through whatever this... So this Nancy's Nightmare, which is, I think, the only, like, full-blown... Like, every character except for... Well, actually, no, Quentin gets the, gets the flashback. Every mm-hmm. character gets one big nightmare. Yes. And yeah, it's just like... Me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she gets ready to go to bed. Quentin steals a move from the faculty by repurposing his a paper cutter into a machete. Love it. Uh, she she what? She hides in a closet. He's there. She tries to run down the bloody hallway. It's a wet dream. Oh, sorry, I missed the one where she where she yells to him, "Fuck, fuck you. you!" And he yep. says, "Ooh, sounds like fun." And I was just like, "No movie, you can't play it this way because these are one liners, and are they meant to be funny? Because they're not. Well, and if they're meant to be gross because he's now a confirmed pedophile, you haven't given the appropriate weight to this." Well, that's the thing. A, I, I don't know if there's ever a place where you can actually, even if it is a, I don't know, like. Maybe we shouldn't do molestation in our slasher films because we can't handle them appropriately. Well, I think you can handle it appropriately. This movie doesn't do that. And no. you also miss the end of the line. He goes, he goes, ooh, sounds like fun. A little too fast for me, though. Like, it just keeps going. And you're like, granted, I did like her going, fuck you, because it's like, right. oh, my God, yeah. she's, she's stepping up for once. <laughs> she feels emotion. <laughs> oh, my God, that diction coach, he actually delivered. She made a line. Oh, my God, guys. But, but yeah, like, that's... This whole nightmare is probably the most forgettable one in the movie, minus mm-hmm. that blood hallway, because it's just her running around and around and around and around. They homage Johnny Depp's death scene with the bed by having, like, when she falls through the blood. and it, like, Yeah, it's a Really reverse. bad CGI. <laughs> she bursts through. I don't mind it. It definitely looks fake, but I don't know. I was, I was a bit more partial to it than some of the other bad CG that we've seen. I mean, the, the worst is the wall. Like, that is the worst CGI in this movie. God. I hate it. I hate it so fucking much. It's astounding to me how badly they do that effect, considering their budget and what we know special effects can deliver in the year 2010. Yeah, it's exactly. Yeah, I I mean, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so she falls into this bed, we get some more rapey language, your mouth says no, but your body says yes. Which is also kind of a ripoff of Freddy vs. Jason. When he says your your mouth says no, no, or your, your eyes say no, no, but your mouth says yes, yes, or something like that. I would argue it didn't work then. It's not working here. No. So she eventually runs away. He tosses her around. She stabs him in the eye with scissors. It doesn't matter because she's in a dream state. Ooh, that CGI, when he pulls the scissors out and like the goo attaches to the knife, that's very bad CGI as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like, oh, we spent all of our money on the early effects. We should have saved some for later. Well, that's the thing, too. You know, with, with Kellen Lutz's throat slashing... Which is a really good prosthetic piece, or at least it looks like it is. It's mostly prosthetic with a little bit of uh, CGI kind of added in. 
Of course it is. <laughs> Can't help but tinker. It's the same thing with the thing, you know, where it's like, why are you going to remake this movie that's known for practical effects Yeah, and insert all the CGI into it? No, I mean, it's probably my number one complaint about the slate of remakes that happen in this period is that they misconstrue the joy of practical effects from the movies that they're remaking. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so we find out that Freddie basically manipulated this to happen by making her stay up as long as possible so that she wouldn't be able to be woken up by Quentin, who is trying to do just that. So he uses Chekhov's adrenaline. But here's my thing with this. Mm -hmm. He doesn't just immediately, he's like spending a good like 30 seconds trying to shake her out of this. And I'm like, you have the adrenaline. I wouldn't have even thought twice. Just fucking do it. Especially considering we've already seen him self-administer this adrenaline when he got it out of the hospital. He just jams it into his leg like it's fucking nothing. Yeah. So for him to be like, oh, she's in mortal danger. Nancy, wake up. Nancy, wake up. It's like, bitch, get to the good stuff. And it's clearly to add suspense because the movie thinks that we're going to be worried that Nancy's going to get raped and or killed. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah. actually, it's really killed because he's about to, like, fucking, like, stab her through. So then I'm like, wait... You just said, I did this so that you will stay asleep forever, so we're going to have plenty of time. Now I'm and then he's just going to kill her. He's going to yeah. pull a Thomas Decker on and just shove his fist through her chest. <sighs> yeah. Again, it doesn't make sense. Mm-mm. So Quentin Pulp Fiction's this fucking syringe into her chest. She brings Freddy back into the real world. They have an extended struggle. He eventually gets his arm chopped off by the paper mache machete. And then we get the immortal line. It hurts, doesn't it? That's because you're in my world now, bitch! And she says it just like that, too. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, like, slits his throat, basically. Yeah, we don't even get the satisfaction of a decapitation. It's a throat slit. Well, because ugh, the same thing happened in Freddy vs. Jason. And so I guess maybe they were like, well, we're going to rip it off a little bit, but we're not going to decapitate him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, also, we don't have the effects budget for that anymore, so we'll just go with a little throat wound. They clearly had a lot of throat prosthetics made for this movie. That's where their money went. But then any right. other kind of gore, that CGI. Yeah. So she then lights the secret room on fire and they stumble outside. And in case you were interested, the alternative ending for this film. So this part is different. And then the final scene is the same where they like load onto the ambulance and all mm-hmm. the shit with her mom. So what happened in the alternative version is that. Wait, wait, wait. I'm sorry. I have to Mm -hmm. stop you because you keep saying alternative and you've used that in writing before. It's just alternate. Alternate as opposed to alternative. Alternative is like alternative music where it's like edgy. Oh, I see. Okay. (laughs) So what we see in the alternate version, the one that they filmed and then decided not to use, is that she refuses to look at him when she's lying on the bed and he's got her psychically imprisoned. Mm Mm-hmm. And he yells at her to look at him, and when she won't, he goes, well, maybe this would help. And he takes off his hat and covers his face, and then when he removes it, he's back to Fred Krueger as opposed to Freddy, so he's not scarred anymore. And they do the rest of the scene like that, so the whole time he's in, like, good guy, nice guy mode. And they felt that it didn't work because all of a sudden then you weren't killing your villain anymore. You were just killing this random person that people don't really know or have any kind of attachment to. Also, I'm going to correct myself. Alternate refers to one that substitutes for or alternates with another, but alternative can be used as a noun referring to one of two or more available possibilities. Okay, so both are equally valid. Yeah. Cool. So ignore me. 
you know what? I learned nothing from watching this remake. So <laughs> if I come away having learned that I can use alternate or alternative interchangeably, well, not interchangeably, but in this situation interchangeably, yes. then that is something that I can say, wow, I learned something from this. <laughs> <laughs> and micro naps. Yeah. Okay, so... He's dead because we lit the room on fire and slit his throat. He can't magically recover from that for a sequel. <laughs> so, uh, you know, Quentin gets packed up into an ambulance. And we're supposed to believe that they might go on a date because they have chemistry. Spoiler, they have no chemistry. And I'm sorry, but I don't think that two people who were molested together are gonna end up dating. Um, Not without a lot of therapy, I would imagine. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> like but would it be couples therapy or would it be individual therapy uh maybe both you know they would work their way up to it and then they would engage in couples therapy all right i'll buy it <laughs> and their therapist would be harley quinzel oh my god harleen but yes <laughs> do you want me to re-deliver the line no it's fine <laughs> let me get one correction right <laughs> right okay i'll let you have this how's that <laughs> Okay, so in the single worst scene of this film, because we are ending on the lowest possible note, mm-hmm. Nancy goes home with her mom, and she's talking to Mrs. Coach, and then Freddie breaks through the hallway mirror, stabs Gwen through the eyes in the worst CGI in the entire film. Real bad. Pulls her back through, and then the mirror recovers, and Nancy screams. So it looks bad, but my issue was this. We go home, Nancy is seemingly not bothered by anything that just happened. Mm-hmm. And then proceeds to thank her mother for yeah. everything she did because she quote-unquote knows she was just trying to protect her. Yeah. Lying to your children about being molested and then not believing them when they tell you that that person is hunting them and trying to sedate them at the hospital, all for your protection. Oh, I, I literally wrote, so like, Connie Britton doesn't seem to care, and Nancy, in all caps, thanks her. Mm-hmm. Also <laughs> apparently doesn't care. She was just really inconvenienced, like, uh, I'm moving on, tomorrow's, tomorrow's a brand new day. <laughs> None of this matters. You know what? She got the contract for Girl with the Dragon Tattoo the day of this scene, and it really comes out in her performance because she has already moved on. Actually, the you're in my world now, bitch, or the fuck you, like, that was the day she got it because she, she was actually talking to the movie, not to Jackie Earl Haley. <laughs> I'm going to be in a David Fincher movie, you fucking asshole. <laughs> Oh, God. Oh, Rooney Mara. I mean, I'm glad she's gone on to better things, but dear Lord, when she dies, this movie will not make the Academy Award in memoriam montage package. (laughs) That was dark. I apologize. I do not want Rooney Mara dead. (laughs) No. I just don't think this is going to be a standout film on her filmography. That's all. I mean, if she had the choice, she would erase this from existence. And you know what? I might have to agree with her on that point. Here's the thing. I actually would welcome a remake of this franchise, like another one, because... Well, hasn't Hesser said? Because I know he, he did a tweet thread where he addressed some of the things that you've addressed from your interview, and it was in response to John Squires literally saying, what remake would you like to see remade? And he was like, let me tell you which one. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So I think perhaps there is an opportunity. And of course, we've had talks about 
Nightmare making some kind of comeback. We talked in one of our Patreon episodes about the fact that the rights have actually reverted back to the Craven family. Mm -hmm. So hypothetically, they could make a new film. But of course, that would just be for domestic and not international, which is like the sticking point. So don't go expecting anything anytime soon. Yeah. But I know that Elijah Wood's company has talked about how much they would like to do it. The director of Daniel isn't real has talked about how he would like to throw his hat into the ring of making a new Freddy film. That would actually, no, I I would welcome that though, because I mean, if y'all have seen Daniel isn't real, like there is a pretty awesome, like I have to think Mm -hmm. nightmare homage involving a mouth that is really, really cool. Yes, a hundred percent. And practical for the most part. Yeah, yeah. And that's one of the differences that we would see is if this remake was remade or if the franchise was rebooted again now, we wouldn't go the music video director route. We would go with the indie horror director route. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the franchise and the property would actually be better served by that. I I agree with that, yes. Okay, you did hesitate, so I wasn't sure. No, 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 no. I was just thinking. I was like, I'm trying to, I was trying to think if I could think of like a big name director who could do it justice. And I mean, I'm sure there are, but I think you need the humility of someone who hasn't experienced that yet. Right. And somebody who knows how to make a small budget or who is experienced with practical effects. Like, you know, I would love to say, let's see John Carpenter do Nightmare on Elm Street. But like the John Carpenter that we have now, A, is not making movies, but also B, would not make a good movie of this. Like we would need an 80s John Carpenter to do it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I don't know. The legacy of this movie is I think it's going to be forgotten. Oh, I feel like it's already been forgotten. Yeah. I mean, I think out of all the Platinum Dunes remakes, this is probably the worst one, um, at least of the ones we've discussed, because I actually Mm -hmm. like all the other ones that we've mentioned. Yeah, I mean, there's just no fun to be had in this. The kills aren't good. The gore's not good. It's not scary. We like the cast, but even they can't overcome the fact that this script is so humdrum boring. Yeah. The only reason to watch this movie is to see Jackie Earl Haley's take on the character. I agree. And and that's the thing. Like, I don't want to say this movie is a complete waste of time. It's not. And that is something to look to look forward to. And again, I think that Kyle Gallner and Katie Cassidy are doing decent work in this too like yeah i don't want to say great because they're not given material that they're honestly i don't think anyone could make great no but Mm. katie cassidy has the most to work with in terms of at least showing emotion (laughs) and galner is picking up mara's slack by being a lead yeah exactly this is a film that thinks nancy is the lead but doesn't give her enough to do and rooney mara's bringing nothing to the table and you can actually see kyle gallner being like how do i keep this movie with a pulse yeah exactly so he does what he can and it's actually honestly this sounds so terrible it's kind of a shame that he hasn't had a career breakout like rooney mara has oh no i know it's super weird hey Mm mm-hmm I don't know if he's just maybe picking films that aren't connecting with people. I mean, we're on the record as loving Jennifer's body. He's not in that quite enough, I think, to get recognition. But uh, yeah, I mean, he's one of those people where, folks, if you're not following him on Twitter, he's actually extremely delightful and also pretty candid. But he's steadily working. He's doing stuff. They're just not big attention-grabbing projects. And it doesn't seem like he's in genre stuff as much anymore either. Yeah, well, I mean, like, we had that movie at Fantastic Fest, that Possession movie. Oh, right. Yeah, I forgot about that one. Mm -hmm. And he was also the best part of that movie, too. This is true. Yeah. 
But yeah, I mean, you know, I'd like to see more things. I'd like to see Katie Cassidy do. Well, actually, hopefully her pilot for um, the CW yeah. gets picked up. <laughs> yeah, apparently I've heard it's on the fence, which is surprising to me. But maybe they don't want 25 different superhero shows. I mean, that's really their entire slate right now. <laughs> it really is. Jesus Christ. I don't know. Part of me feels like I'm really glad that Katie Cassidy, because she spent a lot of time doing these kinds of roles, right? Like teen slasher sort of thankless roles where she gets to look good but she doesn't actually get to do much in terms of range and then she finally landed on a series of hit television shows but i feel like those shows don't i don't know i've fallen off the bandwagon for a lot of the berlenti stuff but i feel like those shows don't give her quite as much to do like they're too fixated on the superhero the super heroics well they are but in spoilers but once laurel lance katie cassidy was killed in arrow they brought her back as Black Canary from another Earth, and she was a villain. Okay, see, I could ooh, I could see her killing a villain role. Uh, and she does. They still don't give her as much to do as I would like, but, like, she is way more comfortable doing that than she was with the boring-ass Laura Lance we have for the first four seasons of Arrow. Oh, man. I feel like Arrow, in the first couple of years, literally did not know what to do with its female cast because I fucking hated Stephen Amell's younger sister, too. Thea? <gasps> no i love her <laughs> no i mean i love her but she was like a bitchy brat and it was so annoying oh wait so you didn't see it to where she became speedy like another superhero uh maybe oh i, th okay. I think i might have gotten to that and it was like okay this is fine but she was still tied to colton haynes's character and he was yeah and he, he he was boring he left the show which again sucks because he's like the gay actor yeah well but anyway sorry y'all <laughs> we did a digression <laughs> sorry for that CW. wb detour <laughs> <laughs> um yeah final thoughts it's eh, this movie exists it's fine like i'll never watch it again unless i have to watch it for a podcast yeah i kind of feel the same way i didn't find myself hating the fact that we had to watch it for the podcast but the minute that it ended i was like you know what i'm good to not watch this movie again yeah yeah Okay, so that's done, and that brings to a close the month of April, Trace. We have survived the five-week stuck-in-our-house-fucking-isolation month, or the first. Yeah, yeah I, I keep reading it, we're done. <laughs> like, this is the end of April. <laughs> yeah, no, we're done, Um, and I think that'll wrap up this movie. If y'all, let us know y'all's thoughts. I mean, if, if there are a defender to this movie out there, by all means, like, we're not going to make fun of you, because I like some shit. Yeah, and we're firmly on the remake train, so far yep. be it from us to yuck anybody else's yum. I agree. But yeah, well, uh, I guess we'll finish that up. So before we announce what we're covering next week, if you'd like to contact us, you can visit our Horror Queers Facebook page or join our exclusive Horror Queers Facebook group. Tweet the show at Horror Queers or email us at horrorqueers at gmail.com. If you have two seconds, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating or a review. Uh, mm -hmm. Or you can go to TeePublic, that's T-E-E-Public.com, and buy Horror Queers merchandise. Or, of course, sorry, a laundry list of things. If mm -hmm. you want even more content, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash horrorqueers. We had a trapped-in-your-house horror theme this month for coronavirus quarantine. So we've got episodes <laughs> on The Strangers and Mike Flanagan's Hush and an audio commentary on Your Next. And we've got some really exciting things planned for May because nothing's coming out that month either. Should we give them a little taste? Maybe we should say the theme but not the films. Sure, we can say the theme. Go ahead, Joe. So the theme for May is possession. So we're going to be looking at a bunch of different types of possession films, and maybe not the ones you're thinking of. Yes, and this is actually one of my least favorite subgenres of horror. It's down there with zombies, so I'm, I'm happy to say that we picked some good movies to cover. 
Yeah, I'm excited. I think that there are some interesting picks and patrons. You'll know exactly what we're talking about when you get that newsletter. Yes. Now, Joe, Mm -hmm. what are we covering next week? Well, the start of May is a beautiful period for mothers. So we are going to be checking out a horror take on Mother's Day by not looking at Mother's Day, but rather the great under-the-radar film Grace. Oh, man. I've only this seen movie this movie is once. fantastic. It's very good. And if you'll listen to our episode on Hostel Part 2, you'll remember that I both of us commented on how much we love Jordan Ladd. This is the movie that solidifies that. And if you've never seen it, it is some real fucked up baby horror. Oh, yeah. I don't want to oversell it, but like yeah. pregnant ladies, this may not be a great movie for your frame of mind. Just putting it out there. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah. <laughs> I have nothing else to add, so we'll leave it at that. It's not an action-packed movie. It's a little bit more of a slow burn, but it is. It will get under your skin. Oh, yes. And speaking of practical effects, baby. Oh, yes. Some good breast effects on that one. <laughs> Coining that breast effects. <laughs> breast effects. But um, on that note, we can cross out A Nightmare on Elm Street, the remake. Yes, and cross out horror queers. Disgusting Podcast Network, home of creepy, disturbing, and terrifying creepy pastas, SCP archives, weekly full cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and the Boo Crew. Horror-centric interviews. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts. Murder in America is a true crime podcast that covers stories from all 50 states, including stories of mass shootings, serial killers, and lesser-known murders. Do you find yourself doing more research after listening to a true crime show? Well, Courtney and I used to do the same thing, and that's why we created Murder in America. Our podcast dives deep into each case. Our storytelling will make you feel like you're right there within the case with us, watching it all play out, and we do not shy away from the graphic details. If you're a fan of true crime, then listen to Murder in America on Spotify now. 